0: Everybody, welcome to the stack. I'm Alex. I'm Pete. And on the stack, we talk about a bunch of comic books that have come out this week. So many. And let's not waste any time. Let's kick it off with Star Wars The Mandalorian, number one from Marvel, written by Rodney Barnes, art by George Gianti. Now, this is, if you're expecting something like the Star Wars books that are coming out from Marvel, that where they're dancing between the raindrops, if you will, going between the continuity in the movies and the TV shows and whatnot, that's not what this is. This is a ye old school, classic comic book adaptation of the first episode of The Mandalorian. Pete, you got a question. What's up?
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, there, You know, somebody quote unquote wrote this, but it was like they were just watching the TV show and just writing down everything that happened. I mean,
0: what? <laughs> well, so here's the thing. This is actually a question that I was going to pose to you about this because, first of all, I got very excited. I really like George Gianti's art. Uh, he's great. Oh my god, the art's unbelievable! Are so you good. Me? His The way that he draws the characters here is awesome. He yep. always does a good job with licensed properties. He was the guy who also did Buffy the Vampire Slayer when they first brought her into comics and was so good. And I think about that all the time. Uh, so that's good. Um, the back of the day, you used to get these things all the time. Like I remember very specifically reading oh, yeah. The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Official Marvel comic adaptation, the Return of the Jedi official Marvel comic adaptation. The question that I was going to throw out to you, and I don't mean this necessarily derisively, even though it sounds that way, what is the point of this?
1: Like at this day, and that's age, what I was going to ask yeah. you. Like, okay, because I guess the point is what I'm realizing now is letting the artist flex mm-hmm. and kind of bring this kind of episode to comics. But what was tough, what I really found that I missed was there's amazing actors and and voice work. And the show hires a lot of comedians that add like a lot to these lines and stuff like that. And because like I'm I'm hearing their voices, but if someone hasn't watched the show, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, Horatio Sands was that fish guy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of there's cool like uh, Jason Sudeikis is one of the stormtroopers. Like, there is fun stuff that you don't get in this comic. The
0: uh, It took me a couple of pages to realize I was just reading the first episode, to be honest, because I read it and I was expecting, like, okay, here's a new adventure of the Mandalorian. Yeah. Even if it's back in time, it's before we met Grogu or whatever. And then about three or four pages in, I was like, this is really familiar. What's going on here? <laughs> the the issue here i don't think is badly written the art like we said is awesome but i do think back in the day when you had these sort of adaptations of things we were in a very different entertainment world than we are yeah. in now then you went to the movies to see the movies and maybe you would see it on you know video cassette eventually back in like the star Wars days and then DVD. And then obviously you could stream it or whatever, but like now the Mandalorian came out years ago, this episode, and there's fan art for it online later that day. Like you can have essentially, obviously it's not quite the same thing. It's not the same level of professional product, but you can have a comic book adaptation of the Mandalorian an hour after you watch the Mandalorian, you know, to have released this years later. I'm just not sure what audience they're going for, what thing they're trying to capture, how they're trying to widen the audience or what they are targeting there. So I don't want to dismiss it from existing, but I also don't want to read a book and have to spend the entire time trying to wrap my head around why it exists.
1: You know, I hear you. I think it's one of those things where, Like when I read those things, it was because I hadn't seen the movie yet or Mm -hmm. I hadn't or it'd been a while. And so I was like, oh, this will be a kind of a fun way to revisit it. So I think kind of their audience is just kind of like, hey, if for some reason you don't have Disney Plus, like check this out. I don't know. I guess. But again, to the point we were making,
0: like the one for me that I always think about, and this is definitely dating myself, but I had the comic book adaptation of Krull before I saw the movie of Krull. Oh, my God. And I read the comic book adaptation of Krull. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever read. He has a thing called a glaive, and it. it has cool blades, and it's like a boomerang, but more awesome. And then I saw the movie. I was like, what is going on with this? This is boring. But Wow. But... That was because I couldn't see the movie. Like, I could read comics, but I couldn't see the movie. And I don't think it's the same thing with, like, you can't watch the first episode of The Mandalorian, but you can't read a comic. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know. I don't know. I'm just sort of flummoxed about this. Like, again, I don't want to dismiss it existing. And I know we usually kick off with something really positive here on the show. I'd be very curious to hear from listeners what you got out of this book or why... (laughs) Again, not to use the submissive term, but like why you think it exists, why you think it's important that it exists? Um, is there something we're potentially missing here? Because I'm totally open to that.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm also interested to see how well this sells. Like, is mm-hmm. this gonna get like you know, uh, you know, because you, you see numbers and sometimes you hear about like all oh, second editions or whatever of something that does really well, but I'm just wondering, like if they're just trying this and see like how well it does to kind of open it up, because if they did start this process, that would be crazy. Like all the T Marvel TV shows and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean,
0: it might be as simple as keeping the word of the Mandalorian going between seasons. So they have something Mm -hmm. on the shelves. It might be just something
1: that kind of says Mandalorian. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: guess it's just, I would be totally stoked for a Mandalorian one shot Comic book. He travels around. He does stuff. Goes on different
1: adventures. This not as psyched for. You know. I also wonder if it's like for somebody who got a baby Grogu as a gift, mm-hmm. and then you know you kind of like, oh, I'll check out this comic because It right. uh, doesn't have a TV or something. Yeah,
0: like yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But but can read. <laughs> there
1: you go. Like how like.
0: Really try to wrap our heads around this comic book. <laughs>
1: I'm trying so hard to hear yeah. like
0: All right. Why don't we move on and talk about another one that I do think – it's it's very similar in terms of, like, why does this exist, but I do think we have an answer for this. Dark Crisis Worlds Without a Justice League Superman, number one, from DC Comics, written by Tom King and Brandon Thomas, art by Chris Burnham and Fico Osio. This kicks off with a big storyline of a world with just a Superman and just John Ken Superboy, and then takes us to other worlds where, as the title exists, uh, indicates... There's no Justice League. There's just one hero or two heroes, and that's pretty much it. Pete, what would you
1: think about this book? Well, this was like a really cool take on one of the positives of Parrington, of raising a child, of kind of like being like, you know, it's cool to watch somebody go from zero to like – 18 and kind of like become their own person. It's got to be fun to kind of watch somebody's evolution, you know, right in front of your eyes and stuff like that. And I thought like doing this with like a Superman kind of thing brought a lot of touching kind of, uh, uh, cool vibes to it. I, I really dug it. I thought it was such a cool idea. Well executed. The art was amazing. Uh, really cool covers. Uh, yeah. Uh, i I felt like it was uh it was really neat yeah i I was okay with the
0: next two stories. I thought they were solid, but mostly fun. but the front story by Tom King and Chris Burnham that we're talking about with Superman was great that I do think the theme here, the idea here, even though I feel like Dark Crisis itself hasn't really coalesced as a vent necessarily yet, is we kicked off with the Justice League dying. Before Dark Crisis, here we're seeing all these other worlds throughout the multiverse where there never was a Justice League. There was no inspiration there. There's no young Justice League members. There's no younger than that Teen Titans or anything like that. So what does that mean for these worlds without a lot of heroes? That's cool. I like that as like what-if scenarios or else world scenarios, specifically with DC. Um, It's definitely worth it for the front story alone. Um, Yeah. Curious to see where this goes potentially as an event. Yeah, definitely. Next one, Impact Winter, number one, from Image Comics, written by Travis Beecham, art by Stephen Green. This ties into a podcast for the producers of The Walking Dead. And if you don't know Travis Beecham, he wrote some of the Pacific Rim stuff. But here, this is a zombie apocalypse, but instead of zombie apocalypse, it's a vampire apocalypse. And we're leading up to the characters in the podcast. Full disclosure, I haven't listened to the podcast. I'm going to take a wild stab no pun intended, and say that you probably haven't either, Pete. So given all that, what did you think about this book?
1: Yeah, I, you know, uh, really the only podcast I listened to is the last podcast on the left. Um, but um, Impact Winter is such a cool... Did you listen to Comic Book Club or The Stack? Um, only to hear if I'm not there to see if you guys are talking shit about me. <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> uh, but man I really liked this kind of like how this started the whole setup the premise this was great it moved really well like it didn't kind of sit in a lot of ideas or whatever like it really moved I, I liked the pace of it, the art's beautiful. Um, You can kind of really get on board with the characters right away. You don't kind of like know a lot, but you kind of get the idea. So I was, uh, I was really impressed.
0: Yeah. I really like this as well. Travis Bisham is a really good, solid writer and he does a good job of doing the comics here. I think he did the Pacific Rim comics as well. So like, He knows his way around this sort of licensed property based on his own thing sort of thing. Uh, But like you said, Stephen Green's art is really good. The creatures, the vampires, are like little Mike Mignola goblins in the middle of this – I don't know. There was some other artist I was thinking as a comp here, but I don't know who it is. But really like this book. yeah. You kind of remind me a little bit of the Scott Snyder uh, vampire, a little bit. Mm, yeah, I could see that. Uh, mm. But very fun book. If you're looking for a new apocalypse world, I think check this out. And If you're I'm looking kind for of... a new apocalypse to check out, yeah. check out this one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on and talk about Daredevil number one from Marvel, written oh, by yes. Chip Zdarsky, art by Marco Cicetto and Rafael Della This is introducing a new character called Daredevil. Who is a man? New character, fear. did you just say? No. This is picking up off of the oh my gosh, what was the storyline even called? King is me the storyline. Yeah. I don't yeah know. The- it was, what was uh it? We loved Devil's, it. Rain. Devil's, Devil's Rain. Devil's Rain. The, I wanted to say Reign of Fire because the anniversary of Reign of Fire is today, but it's not. It's Devil's Rain. Anyway, Kingpin has left New York. Daredevil and lecturer are going to leave New York as well, but first he has some business to take care of uh, before they take over the fist. Uh, the antithesis of the hand, and as teased here on this issue. Seems like we're heading towards a big war between Daredevil and the Punisher coming down the road, potentially, which is like your dream scenario, Pete?
1: Yeah, this looks up. I love the little kind of, uh, you know, little Punisher shots we got in here, the little panels of like, we're kind of leading to this, very exciting. But also this comic was great. I mean, as far as the first issue, setting things up, getting you excited, this does such a great job. Art's unbelievable. I really love Electra in this, and her, uh, her and uh, uh, Daredevil uh, for the first time. I'm really feeling it, and I'm very excited about like what that's going to mean. We get stick in here, which was great. I, I'm very excited to see where this is going. And what's fun is you kind of think you're like, okay, I get a handle on this, but then there's some real twists and turns that make it very exciting and kind of raise the stakes.
0: Yeah, as uh, we had Chip on the show a couple of months ago, I think to talk about Stillwater, but we talked about Daredevil as well. And he was mentioning about this, that it's basically like he was writing Daredevil, doing it with Marco Cicchetto. And then they did Devil's Reign, and then they were rebooting Devil, Daredevil. But it's all the same thing. Like, it's all the same title. At the same time, if you haven't been reading Daredevil, you can jump right in on this first issue oh, and get yeah. caught up, which is great. The other thing that I wanted to call out, I know we didn't talk about Batman 125 this week, uh, last week, which was entirely my error. <laughs> I didn't realize that with Chip Zdarsky taking over the title. But he did this very cool thing with the issue where – this isn't like revolutionary, but I feel like I haven't seen this in a while. The front story and the back story dovetail with each other. Like the back story is literally mm-hmm. giving backstory for what's happening in the front story. Does and he a does idea. he does the same thing here with Daredevil and the Electra story. Yeah. And it's so smart because you're getting two different stories, but they're tied intrinsically to each other. Love to see it. Great book.
1: Definitely also, it was great the way it kind of was like, commenting on the thing that just got wrapped up, the devil's reign thing. I thought that was also a cool way to kind of start instead of being like, okay, here's my new idea. It was like them kind of kind of coping with what all that just happened.
0: Yeah. It was a little disappointing to me that they didn't mention reign of fire at all, which is a great dragon apocalypse movie. <laughs> if you're looking for a new apocalypse, check out uh, no. reign of fire. no, Superman, Son of kal number 13 from DC Comics, written by Nicole Maines and Tom Taylor, art by Clayton Henry. This is a big issue because it's introducing Dreamer, the character that Nicole Maines played on Supergirl for multiple seasons, into the main DC continuity. There's been appearances. Uh, I think Nicole Maines did a short story, if I remember correctly, about Dreamer before, but this is Dreamer in mind continuity, interacting with uh john kent among other characters um i thought this was great i think every issue of this is great but i think the way they brought in dreamer here was so much fun i love the character
1: i thought it was really well written what'd you think about it pete i agree this every issue of this has been so much fun with this arc i'm loving this uh superman relationship uh i think it's a lot of fun the whole kind of like you're kind of uh what was a fair mating me or uh, uh, the kind of use of like, you're just trying to, you're trying to put me in a castle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but uh, also, yeah, I think the way dreamer was introduced was really cool really kind of sets things up. Uh, the writing and art on this is so much fun. This is just a solid book that continues to deliver issue after issue Yeah, if you're not reading this, uh, I don't know, do you just not like comics? Like, what's your deal? This is great fun. I really do hope we see
0: more of Dreamer as well. It would be a bummer to bring her in here, show her off in this issue, and then not have her pop up anywhere in the DC universe. So fingers crossed. I hope there's more plans for it going forward. And I hope they let Nicole Maines write Dreamer because she did such a great job here. It's really, really impressive how yeah. uh, she's leaning into this character. Very fun stuff. Next up Flavor Girls, number one from Archaea by, I'm definitely going to mispronounce this, and I'm sorry, Loik Locatelli Kurwanski. This is sort of a Sailor Moon ish riff on magical girls fighting giant monsters. The art is very fun, very manga influenced. In particular, what do you think about this, Pete?
1: Well, here's the thing. I I love the whole setup. I love the premise. Really cool. Very very interesting. I just wish they didn't lean so hard on the Sailor Moon thing. Where it's like, just give them full, all the clothes, so we don't have this kind of little bit creepy young girl kind of thing with the stockings and the short skirt thing going on. You know what I mean? I feel like I that's wanna... on you if you're calling that out, Pete. Well, maybe. I don't know what my deal is, but I'm just saying like it would be nice to be able to read this in public and not have people look like, oh, yeah, you into that? Is that what you're into? Well, you're masturbating at the same time, right?
0: (laughs) Never. Never no, All right. Never would. Never would. I'm not going to hell. (laughs) Uh, I thought this was enjoyable. I liked it for the art in particular. I think the story is fine. It's fun. Uh, No, it's fun. It's a good setup. Yeah. Yeah. She she has pineapple powers or something. I don't know exactly what's Dude, happening here. if
1: you saw a giant pineapple, you'd run right into it. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm not the biggest fan of the magical girl
0: genre. It doesn't really do anything for me. But I did like the art, and I thought the story was fun. And I think hey, if you do like the genre, you'll be into it. Shout out to Jordan D. White. He's a huge Moon fan. There you go. Next up, another one that I'm going to have at least one big question about. X-Men Hellfire Gala, number one from Marvel, written by Jerry Dugan, art by Chris Anka, Dukes? Russell Dodderman, the Dukes, Matteo Lully, and C.F. Villa. It is time once again for the Hellfire Gala when the X-Men invited everybody to Krakoa to see off what their island is doing, as well as vote in a new team of X-Men. Uh, in the midst of this, Moira McTaggart, who is now an evil robot with psychic powers, is taking over the body of Mary Jane Watson and manipulating things at the Hellfire Gala, as well as many, many things are also other things are going on and big revelations. The whole world now knows that the X-Men are immortal. What are they going to do about that? Pete, I know you're not a big fan of the X-Men and everything that's going on here, but you are a big fan of Spider-Man and Mary Jane, and that's a big part of this issue. What did you
1: think about this? First off, I just wanted to go on record saying I love comic books. Okay. I don't enjoy <laughs> reading something and then shitting on it. Okay. That's mm-hmm, not yeah. what I'm here to do. Okay. Yeah. But I also have to give my honest opinion. Okay. So sure. did I hate the, the cover? Yes. Okay. I don't like to see Scott uh, Summers with his fucking new visor. Weren't you? And the way it starts maybe you want to puke. And then as it kept with, going with Scott all, and Gene nude on the moon? Yeah yeah you don't like that all no right. and then uh you know we got so much of the ice goddamn princess and then uh, you know the, the whole mary jane of it all just like stop stop playing with my goddamn emotions until you fix fucking spider-man and mary jane's relationship otherwise stop fucking around with it all right okay what there's two
0: things that are very funny to me about this issue. First of all, I clearly liked it better than you. I thought like all the machinations that were going on and the revelations, they're making some big moves in terms of revealing that the X-Men are immortal here and what that's gonna do for the world. I'm very curious to see how that's all gonna play out going forward, particularly as we have the big judgment day event coming down the road. So that's all good. I like the characterizations. Always like Jerry Dugan's writing. It's always very good. The art is good throughout. What was weird to me about this issue was the Hellfire Gala of it all. And the two parts of that are, one, last year when they did this for the first time, there was this whole big push of like – we got fashion designers to design everybody's costumes and look at the celebrity guests, quote-unquote, are going to be here like Kevin Feige shows up and has a conversation about bringing the X-Men into the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Cyclops, which is very funny, and it feels like A-list guests. This year, none of that lead up, as far as I can tell. Also, the celebrity guests were John Hamm, Brian Poseid, which, mind you, I know Brian Poseid and Jerry Dugan are best friends, so that's great. Yeah, I mean, and- they wrote... Deadpool together. Exactly. Uh, and a very funny bit in the middle of here with Deadpool commenting on Posehn. Yeah. Uh, and CB Sobolski also being like, very mean to Gwenpool, by the way. Yeah. Just want to mention that.
1: Like, rude. Not cool, bro. Not cool, bro. But the weirder thing to me, and I know this doesn't I, matter. Just, just so we're on the same page, everything you said up to this point is already weird. Yes. Here's the thing that I'm going to mention. This doesn't matter to anybody.
0: I'm going to say this out loud anyway, because it's driving me up the wall. In comic book continuity, time does not move the same way in the Marvel universe as it does in the regular universe, right? Yeah. So usually like we're told, I don't remember what the exact ratio is, but like 10 years or a week or a month or something like it's, it's very compressed in terms of how, how things happen. As far as I can tell, they've had a Hellfire Gala like two weeks in a row or something like that. You don't care. This I doesn't don't. matter to you at all. No. Okay. This drives me crazy because like I understand in the real world it has been a year. And they're voting a new X-Men, but in the continuity of the X-Men comic books, it's been like two weeks and they're like, well, these X-Men are out. We're going to have another big party. We're going to get rid of them. We're going to vote in some new ones. Here we go. So, I don't know. I understand why they're doing it once a year, but I kind of wish they would have left it on the table and moved on and
1: done something else. That's all. I also hope that they move on and do something else with the (laughs) X-Men. I enjoyed this more than you, but why don't we move on and talk about
0: rogues number three from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Leo Max. In this issue, it's all going down in Gorilla City as the -the over-the-hill rogues are trying to rob Gorilla Grodd's stash of gold under the city. It goes terribly wrong. Multiple rogues die. Love this book. Great
1: heist book. What do you think, Pete? Okay, here's the thing. I love this book. I love the setup of this book. It's such a great idea. Super cool. And also like, oh, it's black label. So anything can go wrong. But now the fact that it's black label and everything can go wrong, the tension is too high. And I can't enjoy reading this as much as I want to. I think this is such a great premise. Bank heist. Yeah, I get the gold. Really cool. But then when you start kidnapping people's sons, I, I'm like, fuck you fuck you. I hope you all die. And you don't fucking kidnap somebody's son, you fucking fucks. And so like, it's hard to then keep reading and enjoy and then root for these lovable bad guys that we're kind of rooting for because now they've really stepped over the line because things went crazy wrong and they had to kind of make some choices on the fly, which is very realistic to a bank heist. And I appreciate that, but I'm kind of like too stressed out to really enjoy reading it anymore.
0: I totally understand what you're saying. And I think I've had a little bit of a mental adjustment to the way that Joshua Williamson is writing the rogues versus, in my mind, the iconic version of the rogues is Jeff John's take on them, where they're Hmm. like, they're not criminals with a heart of gold, but they are criminals with a code, you know? Like, they follow that code. And here, they are not following that There's code. no codes. There's no codes. There's yeah. every bad for himself, and that's pretty much it. And I agree with you. There is a really good tension there. Leo Mack's art is great throughout. Oh, really like a lot really of the stuff. Awesome, yeah. um, the characterizations there. I do think, and this is a general thing about the black label that you are getting at, is like, I love the idea that you can do everything with black label. I now feel like I've read several uh, titles in a row where it's like, oh, I can do anything. I can kill anybody. Let's do it. Everybody dies. <laughs> and I, I kind of want to back off that. Like, I feel like the yeah. first couple of Black Label books are like, all right, this is a little more adult. We're getting yeah. a little more mature. And now it's like, nothing's off the <laughs> table. So whatever the next stage is of Black Label, I kind of want to move on to that so we can get to these more mature stories where people could die, yeah. but maybe not oh. everybody
1: dies. Yeah. yeah Yeah. but that's the point of like why do a black label book if you're gonna do it you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. like it's it's an interesting thing that you're kind of bringing up but i'm looking i am looking forward to the evolution of it it's so far i'm having such a great time with all all the stuff and i've loved every issue up until this one a little bit i started to turn but i'm still gonna check out the next one and hope for the best um Because uh, I'm hoping they're going to turn this around somehow. But man, when they fucking took that dude's son, I was fucking so worried. It's pretty upsetting, and I only think it's going to get worse, Pete.
0: Why don't we wow. talk about Above Snakes, number one, from Image Comics, yes. written by Sean Lewis, art by Hayden Sherman. This is a riff on a weird Western in this book as some wild things happen. Um, as usual with the Sean Lewis book, there is unlimited creativity going on here. We've only scratched the surface in this first issue of what potentially can happen in this Uh, I want to say retro Western. That's not exactly what it is. Like it is a Western, but it's a weird Western, I guess is maybe the way of putting
1: it. Uh, You love this book, I believe. What did you think about it? Okay. So first, let me just say like, there's a lot of things to love about this book. The art alone is just really enjoyable. But what's great, which I really enjoyed, is you have no idea what you're getting into. You look at the cover, you see the title, you're like, What? Okay. Snakes being above them. I guess we're all kind of above snakes, you know, like we're all standing (laughs) on the earth and the snakes are in the ground. So, okay, but that's not really what this is about. And then you kind of start and there's this crazy ass narrator in the beginning that kind of goes away. And then you're dealing with this guy who's then talking to a bird that may or may not be there and pretty much isn't there. And then you get a Western With some really interesting twists and turns, I think it just kept surprising me. And, you know, we read all these books and you kind of like, okay, I'm kind of in this world, I understand what's going on, but I just kept getting surprised by this and it delivered really hard. As far as the first issue goes, they do such a cool, creative job of setting this all up and kind of delivering. And man, I am all about this and cannot wait for the next issue. So cool. So great. Uh, I I love it. It kind of has this kind of like, we're just going to be walking the earth, solving crimes, and I'm fucking all in, man. Yeah, I really love this too.
0: And in particular, you mentioned the art. Hated Sherman's design for the main character. And I I didn't write down who did colors for this book, but just the shading and colors, like the black on the costume, the way that his cloak sort of hangs
1: on him is so interesting. Well, here's... Here's the thing why yeah. you didn't notice the color, because it just says art by Hayden Sherman, and then it says lettering, and there's no...
0: Mm, so maybe Hayden Sherman did yeah. the colors. There you go. Yeah. If there was a colorist, I apologize for not calling them out, but... Great art, really good, and it's tough to do desert and western as well because it's so sparse. But it's really good here, very good tale. Let's move on, talk about a big one Avengers X Men Eternals Eve of Judgment, number one from Marvel, written by Karen Gillen, art by Pascal Ferry. This is finally setting up the big event of Marvel Summer as the three teams in the title take each other on the Eternals or at least Druig, the current leader of the Eternals, has decided that the X-Men are aberrations, and he's going to wipe them out. As we find out of this issue, it's not going to be that easy. He can't quite do that. And he has turned to the absolute worst person possible to find out how he can take out the X-Men. As we head into this event, the Avengers are going to be caught in the middle of everything that's going on. As a big fan of the Eternals title, And just the narration and the humor that Karen Gillan puts in the narration. I love this issue, and I love how hard it's just dealing with everything that he's been dealing with in the Eternals book. Uh, But what did
1: you think, Pete? Yeah, I mean, the narration is a lot of fun. And then I also like later on where it was like, refer to that list I gave you. Uh, (laughs) But also like – very interesting kind of, like, perspective on on it all. And I'll, I agree. Like, yeah, let's get rid of the X-Men. You know what I mean? Like, this oh, you're on the side of Druid? Yeah, that's right. The that's villain? Right. No. Okay. No, I just, uh I'm sick of Fuck Island already. But, <laughs> um you know, I, I you know, the, yeah, whatever. I'm not going to go on a tirade. I just, sure. I think this is, uh you know, Kieran Gillen has been killing it on the Eternals book. This is an extension of that. I like how we're kind of like really kind of playing with this idea of what do the Eternals do in the the Marvel X-Men world. So, yeah. So let's have some clashes. Let's have some fun. Uh, I think it's a cool setup. Yeah. I, I'm still hesitant just from
0: a fad perspective because I know... Marvel uh, comics were clearly all in on the Eternals because of the Eternals movie, and then uh, Marvel cinematic universe first were about the Eternals movie were like, eh, you know. So it does feel like this vestigial tale, a little bit in a certain way, that they're leading it to this event. But if it is this good throughout and this well written and this fun, it doesn't matter.
1: It's just, I'll tell you what, was one part that was weird to me was like, it's like, oh, yeah, Tony Stark is making, uh, you know, waffles. And I'm like, wait, Tony Stark has to make waffles the same way I do. Like, you don't have a robot that does that? Like, I was kind of like, I make t- Tony make the uh, waffles the same way. Like, there's no better technology. You're basically the Tony Stark of this podcast <laughs>
0: making waffles. Uh, Pretty cool. I, w-
1: I wish I was that rich. Wonder
0: Woman number 789 from DC Comics written by Becky Clunan and Michael W. Conrad and Jordi Belair, art by Enmanuela. Emanuela, excuse me, Lupacino and Eduardo Ponsica, and Paulina Ganeshau. In the front story, Wonder Woman is continuing to battle against Dr. Psycho, a.k.a. Dr. Cisco. And in the backstory, we're getting young Wonder Woman. Pete, I know you've been very like, when are we going to get to the fire truck factory, uh, fireworks factory with this? Finally, they're battling Dr. Psycho in this issue. How would you feel about it? I mean...
1: First off, I love this. I love the art. This is really cool. Uh, It's just Dr. Psycho got escalated to such a villain that I'm just kind of like, what? Why is this taking so long to take down this fucking B-lister? But um, I am really enjoying it. I do want them to win already because I want to see what's next but I am very much enjoying it. So it's a little, uh, it's a little bit of like, this is really cool. Love the action. Love the art. Uh, I love the kind of wonder woman in this, you know, they're doing the voice really well. It really feels like wonder woman. Um, I'm just kind of like, let's fucking take this fucker down. Uh, Totally. And
0: I think we're getting to that point, but uh... To what you were saying, I love the way they're building this up. I love yeah. how episodic it is issue yeah, by Yeah, they're taking issue. their
1: time with it. It's great.
0: So good, and using Dr. Psycho as a villain, I I love him as a villain. I think he's great. He's such a, like, tidy little asshole, and the way that they play him here is so good. Tying him into the men's right movement is so smart, and I love that there's, like, this broken mirror Wonder Woman who's starting to feel Wonder Woman the more that she looks at her. Like, that's such a good emotional heart to it. I love that. I also love the idea that, like, After issues and issues of this run of Wonder Woman being out of her element, taking her back to a basic story where you have Steve Trevor, you have Etta Candy, you have her whole support system, but still at the same time, Wonder Woman is so over her head with everything that's going on. It's great. Like this is. I know we've probably said this before, but like this is an all-timer Wonder Woman run that we're reading right now, and I I love it. Like There's villains behind Dr. Psycho. We don't know who they are, but I trust this team enough to believe that whatever the reveal is going to be, it's going to be super awesome, super
1: fun, great. I'm very excited about it, too. I mean, I'm going to wait until, let's see how it sticks to landing before I say it's one of the great runs of all time. But yeah, it's definitely so far in the discussion, for sure. Yeah.
0: 7174 presents Haunted Universes. Number one from Image Comics by T.P., Louise, and Ashley Wood. If you haven't figured it out, by Ashley Wood's art, who... I I love Ashley Wood's art. This is like reading a poem, is how I would describe this comic book. It's hard to get a handle on the story necessarily, but it's beautiful to look at, and it's beautiful to listen to while you're reading it. But what did you think, Pete?
1: Well... The the kind of like black and white just panels and like weird just we get little fragments of things, you know, like really zoomed in on specific thing is such a cool artistic way to set this up and to tell a story. I was really impressed artistically what this comic accomplishes. Then it gets into a bunch of weird fucking and I'm kind of like, man, but. Man, uh, artistically, it's it's really impressive. It's really beautiful. Uh, I love Ashley Wood's art. This is like
0: a series of paintings in a row in the form yeah. of a comic book. So, well, to be perfectly honest, I don't know what was going on with the story. I think I loved looking at it. And I loved flipping through the whole thing. Let's talk about Punisher number four from Marvel, written by Jason Aaron, art by Yusef Sayez, and Paul. As I said, we have five hours, and then we got to cut it off, Pete. But in this issue, I I can squeeze it all in. Okay, Punisher is continuing to be pushed by the hand to embrace the beast, the god of the hand, uh, and we're starting to get a little pushback here. At the same time, Ares, the god of war, is. Not exactly gunning for the Punisher, but actually rooting for the Punisher to get away from the hand. And meanwhile, Punisher is starting to realize that something is very, very wrong with his wife,
1: Maria, who has been brought back to life. Uh, Pete, take it away. This is one of my maybe favorite Punisher issues of all time. It is really impressive the way that we are you know you're, you're using the Punisher seeing the Punisher uh like this is exactly what I love about the Punisher is the choices that he has to make and the things that he decides uh just so powerful so well done so cool um uh it just there are all these little kind of like moments with Punisher's face and kind of like the the things happening around him uh it seems insane and over the top but also it's so small and like this is one of the first times we've ever seen frank as a kid i mean not ever but like you don't see that a lot so this was they were taking a lot of big swings with this and the frank castle origin which as a punisher fan i'm like don't you fuck with the fucking the greatness here so i was so pleasantly surprised and so happy with what we're building towards and what we're seeing. Um, And, oh my God, you know, spoilers, but man, uh, the the choice that Punisher makes with that uh, sketchy old lady was so great. It's just so great. I'm going to completely agree with you, Pete. This is one of the greatest Punisher issues
0: I've ever read. And I think that's all down to, Mind you, Paul S. Art, Paul as oh, I believe, is doing I mean, like the back backstory oh. stuff with young Punisher, which is gorgeous. He, uh, Jesus, Jesus Sayas is doing the present stuff, which is stunning as well. In particular, like I'm struck every time we cut to Maria and we see the little scars of the bullet holes on her. Jeez. Like that just hits me every single time. But Jason Aaron, the way that he is writing this is phenomenal because you think of like, when they introduce Ares, the god of war, as the bad guy here, like the villain, that Punisher needs to fight. You're like, oh, of course, that makes sense. Of course, right. that's going to be the thing that he needs to fight. That's awesome. That's very cool. Can't wait to see that. But the fact that Ares comes to this old way is like, you are ruining the Punisher. Is like, you are ruining him. He is a perfect engine of war, and you're making him doubt himself. The characterization there and the nuance in terms of setting up this conflict, and particularly this issue, that it's not Ares versus the Punisher. It's Punisher versus this old lady who is manipulating him for the hand, is phenomenal like mind-blowing just the way that jason aaron is structuring
1: this whole thing it's awesome it's also there's this what's really impressive about the story is all the things happening at once right Mm -hmm. like all the things that are interweaving, and like everything kind of because like this when this started i was like oh man oh i'm really nervous and excited but man after this issue like this all kind of clicks in and it's like these oh shit moments like Mm -hmm. the the fact that like she kind of talks about the you know they're just saying oh yeah he's the beast he's the beast or whatever and we don't really know what that means but like the fact that like If you get him so angry, he kind of goes super saying it like was just I was like, what? This is so cool and so insane. Well, I also
0: I just wanted to throw out like the opposite end of the spectrum. You get that moment because the old lady manipulates the situation so that he is more and more subsumed by the beast. And that is the thing that's controlling him. But at the opposite end of the spectrum, he's presented with these ninjas from the hand and told like, they betrayed you. They prayed to Ares instead of you. You need to kill them. And drawing this line for the Punisher of him saying, no, why would I kill them? What are you talking about? I don't care who they pray for. We're killing child molesters we're killing murderers we're killing rapists that's what we're doing here like i this title is doing a better argument for the punisher and why he exists and what his line is than maybe anything i've read or seen before it's phenomenal
1: yeah yeah that's why i was kind of like what's great is there there's these huge things happening for the punisher but the, the just the small moments and the decisions that he is like I, I'm just so proud of the choices that he's making and it's just oh You're proud of your boy yeah i'm'm I'm, I'm, it's it's I was so happy to read this it was, it was I was so happy the team that they put on this is absolutely above and beyond this is just epic so great.
0: Well, let's talk about an ending then, and I'm curious to see how epic you thought that was, Wonder Woman Evolution, number eight from DC Comics, written by Stephanie Phillips, art by Mike Hawthorne. In this issue, Wonder Woman is broken out of the virtual reality scenario that she has been stuck in. She is fighting Silver Swan, who has been subsumed by nanotech that has turned Silver Swan into another version of Wonder Woman. And we're finally ramping things down here. What did you think about the end of this series, Pete?
1: Well, I think overall, the, the the art and the action was just glorious. Uh, it was really a lot of fun. I thought that it kind of like uh, did a good job of kind of like bringing us on the journey and then landing it and being like, OK, great. You know, like I wasn't like, holy shit, but I was really just kind of like awesome. You know, like mm-hmm. came around. I felt good about reading, you know, like going along on this journey. And it was a fun take.
0: I this this sounds more negative than I mean it to. This is maybe my least favorite issue of the series. It does sound negative. Yeah. Because I hated it. No, that's not true. <laughs> uh, I really like the series. I think this was, uh, really good. Mike Hawthorne's arc was awesome. Really liked his take on Wonder Woman. I thought Stephanie Phillips writing was really solid throughout. Yes. Love the virtual reality stuff. Love Silver Swan. That's such a great, interesting villain. And it's one of those villains that ties so nicely into Wonder Woman's compassion because yes. she's somebody like, no, don't fight me. We are friends. Let's be friends. So Stephanie Phillips does a really good job there, but Uh, The way that it ended, it feels like it needs to be followed up on. Without getting into any spoilers, there's a little bit of a tease here for something more. And because it's not in the mainstream Wonder Woman title, I don't know how much we're actually going to follow up on this plot line. If it is something that we follow, I'll be way more into it. But as it is, it doesn't exactly tie it up. It just sort of ends And it feels like the sort of thing that would tee up another storyline, except instead here, we're finishing the title. So, good story. I say pick it up, regardless of the ending. Um, But I'm curious to see how much more we're going to see of this in the DC Universe let's move on talk about 8 billion genies. Number three from image comics written by yeah. Charles soul art by Ryan Brown. In case you haven't been paying attention to this title, this is about a world where everybody gets a genie and everybody gets a wish and it goes horribly, horribly wrong except in one bar where a smart bartender is wished for everybody oh, to be smart safe from the genies. So smart. So smart. We're following a bunch of characters here as some of them wish some of them follow through on their wishes. Um, I I love this book. Like, I love how wild and creative and weird it's going to be. I know it's only going to be eight issues long. I wish it was longer because I think
1: it's only getting more interesting issue by issue. Uh, What about you, Pete? I agree. And I think that's a great sign of something that does really well is you're wanting more. I mean, I would love to sit in a bar where it's, you know, Ernest Hemingway and Jim Morrison and, you know, a bunch of people who are... Uh, Dorothy huge, Parker is the Yeah, Dorothy person. Parker, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, just hanging out would be fun enough, you know. But the fact that uh, we get all these other things happening is really impressive. Yeah, I think this is so creative, just like Curse Words was, so creative, really cool. Uh, I feel like this is just... In, intense in a way that is great, but also like, uh, uh, saying stuff and like really kind of like, uh, very interesting choices. And I love kind of how this issue ends and like sets things up like this evolution of what would happen if these, uh, you know, like five days into people being able to wish things, you know, like, Holy crap. It
0: definitely also makes you think of how would you deal with things in this scenario? Yeah.
1: And to be honest, I just, I don't know.
0: <laughs> I really don't know. Well, I
1: really think what we're kind of finding out here is like waiting it out is smart mm-hmm. because, you know, you only get one and there's so many crazy things happening that other people's things are kind of ruining other people's wishes. So it's like, you know, if you can find like a nice bar to wait these things out, that's a smart move. Totally. The main moral of this story is go hang out at a bar. Have a nice yeah. time. Just yeah, just go hang out in a bar. You go see life come through there, and it's going to be interesting, so yeah. it's worth it. Exactly. Wolverine, number 23,
0: from Marvel, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Adam Kubert. This is the end of the storyline involving Deadpool, as Deadpool and Wolverine teep up, and Deadpool slowly tries to take over Wolverine's comic book. Uh, this is so much fun, and... Pete, I know you've been anti-X-Men. We've talked about that several times on this very episode of the podcast so far, but you got to love this, right? Like, even the ancillary matter that is happening between pages where Deadpool is, like, commenting on stuff and adding
1: stuff, so much fun. This is a great, great comic book and a great use of Wolverine and Deadpool. I love when my Deadpool has heart and shows it and like this was such an awesome comic um it was funny because i liked it so much i actually went back and read the little things that i normally mm-hmm. don't because i don't and i'm glad i didn't because there's that one kind of thing that deadpool writes kind of foreshadows and gives away a thing that i was happy i was kind of the blindsided thing. By. yeah yes Uh, I'll I'll mention
0: this because I thought this was such a great bit. So I I think at this point, everybody knows that the X-Men books have these text pages that happen in the middle. And sometimes they add a little bit of information. I think we've been back and forth about how well people use it. Sometimes it just sort of like reiterates the same thing that we already know. Here, Wolverine and Deadpool are wandering through the ruins of the X-Mansion, trying to trap down Danger, who is the villain of this arc, who kind of just wants to be left alone, but kind of doesn't. It's a little unclear, but in the middle of doing this, Deadpool is doing his classic asking Wolverine a million questions thing, and Wolverine is like, shut up, we were in the middle of a mission. And it cuts to this text page where Deadpool is like, hey, what do you think would happen if both of our nipples got cut off and then our (laughs) nipples fell on the ground? Like, I grabbed your nipple and you grabbed my nipple we put it back on. Would my nipple grow on you and your nipple grow on me because we both have healing factors? What do you think? And then it cuts back to the comic book pages and Deadpool's like, add another question. Yes. Which made me laugh out loud like just like the whole going it was a perfect use of a text page but like you said it actually presages a plot point later yeah. in the issue which is one of the wildest things that I've ever seen <laughs> yeah. great stuff
1: yeah and also really fun choice too to be like let's never talk about that again yes. Um uh, but also so heartwarming later because you know Deadpool's always getting shunned you know the fact that Wolverine was like come on buddy I was like oh my god uh yeah I this was just the art's so enjoyable the story is so much fun and so creative, uh yeah this is a really really solid Wolverine slash Deadpool issue I, I can't I can't recommend this enough this is great uh, this whole arc in
0: particular like Adam Kubert of course is unimpeachable in terms of art but yep. Benjamin Percy the way that he writes both of the characters is great it's so funny and just. The use of healing factor throughout this uh, arc, I loved, I think it was two issues back, the thing where Wolverine kept cutting Deadpool into smaller pieces to jab him through stuff. Yeah. So funny. Yeah. So good. Great yeah. stuff. Definitely. But I also really
1: thought the use of danger was really cool mm-hmm. and creative, too. I thought that was neat.
0: Agreed. Next up, Naomi, season two, number five from DC Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis and David F. Walker, art by Jamal Campbell. This is the big battle issue with Naomi as she takes on Zimbato and a bunch of his compatriots with a big twist there at the end. Now, we had David F. Walker on the show a couple of weeks back, and he mentioned they were going big or going home with this Season of Naomi, and to be perfectly honest, reading the issues, I was like, "All right, yeah, you're kind of rolling it out. I don't know what you're talking about here, buddy." But this is the issue where I was like, "Okay, all right, you <laughs> oh, left it all on the table." Yes. Because what they do here is not only does Naomi flash back to all these lessons she's learned from other heroes in the DC universe, but there's a huge thing that happens in terms of like the main conflict of Naomi by the end of the issue here that sets up an endgame that really is going to like change the character forever. I thought it was awesome. I was very impressed with this issue.
1: I'm just impressed with not only the art, but also the fact that we're really kind of getting to know Naomi more and more with each issue and kind of finding out a lot about how she takes and what she's fighting for and what she's all about. So I'm really enjoying that uh, as much as all the action and all the kind of heightening they're doing with that. So it's really all coming together, as you said, uh, and it's been enjoyable uh, issue after issue lately. Justice
0: Warriors number two from Ahoy Comics, written by Matt Boers, Ben Clarkson, Kirk Vanderbeek, Robert Jeskog. Art by Ben Clarkson, Matt Boers, and Peter Baggy. This is, I don't know what's going on.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, <laughs> I do know what's going on. Is- yeah. They're making some really funny and interesting political statements here. And uh mm. it's it's kind of fucked up, but also you know kind of enjoyable, like, yeah, that that's crazy. But uh yeah, I mean this is really insane, but also really cool and uh very interesting, and uh kind of a nice comment here about uh you know cops and the you know sponsorships and all sorts of crazy stuff. So Uh, Yeah, I I enjoyed uh, what we're kind of getting into, uh, you know, how how this is all unfolding.
0: Yeah, I think it was a matter of my expectations because I love Matt Bores' stuff that he does for the nib. It's so smart. It's so political. It's so good. Here, this is wild absurdism throughout. And I think the other part of my expectation is, I love a lot of the Ahoy comic stuff. It is very political. Mark Russell stuff is so great, like we talk about incessantly here on the podcast. But this is like the ultimate extreme of all that. Uh, So it was hard for me to get a handle of the story. But like you're saying, there's a lot of stuff that's going into ACAB and other things in terms of uh, police state. But... It's wild and weird and all over the place. There's a bunch of text stories in the middle as well. So if you are looking for something that's like, I don't know, I feel like it's kind of channeling the spirit of Raw or those indie comics with an X back in the day, Mm -hmm. which we haven't seen in a good long while, I think that's what's going for it down to including Peter Baggy on the art. Um, So good stuff, interesting to look at, even if I had our time hooking into it. Next up, Undiscovered Country, number 19, from Image Comics, run by Scott Snyder and Charles Soule, art by Giuseppe Cavancoli, and Leonardo Marcello Grassi. In this issue, we're heading to a new realm of America, one that takes place both in the past and the present, with some big revelations going on here and some big danger for our main cast. What did you think about this, Pete?
1: Well, this is kind of like a cool romp through history, um you know we kind of get some really uh, historical moments here um fun twists this comic continues to just be so creative and so interesting and such a uh, uh interesting mashup of ideas and and stuff so but i mean the art is just bananas fantastic i mean i i loved it uh, the art is great i think This issue, uh, in
0: the back matter, they talk a little bit about how America seems stuck in the past – And there's always, like, two Americas, and that's what they're playing off of here. It's a little hard to hook into that just in this first issue because not a lot of action happens. But I'm always very interested to follow where they're going because, of course, I love the team, both the writing and the art team. Um, This is a title in whole that I think is probably so much better when you read in trade than individual issues. Um, Yeah. I I hate saying that, but I agree with you. No, I, I think... I am very excited to go back and read Undiscovered Country when they are done with this book. Because I think it's the sort of thing that's going to be fucking awesome when you read the entire thing. But as it is month to month, there's a little bit like scrabbling to hold on to exactly what they're talking about. And I think the themes are going to be more evident arc by arc because I always feel like that by the end of the arc, by the last issue of arc, I'm like, Oh, okay. That's what they were saying. I get it. That's good. <laughs> that's really smart. Um, But at the beginning of the arc, it's a little hard to grab onto Um that said, Still a good title. Why don't we kick it off with our last one, Slumber Number 5 from Image Comics, written by Tyler Burton-Smith, art by Vanessa Cardinale. This is a big issue as our main characters have tracked down the villain that they've been looking for throughout people's dreams, throughout this entire series. I love this book. I love the art on this book. I love the idea of this book. I am having such a blast reading it. Pete you gave me a little bit of wide eyes so it makes me feel like maybe you're not quite on the same page as I am but what are you thinking
1: all right well first off the art is great I very much enjoyed the art I love the kind of character designs and the kind of fun choices they made with the villain in this one uh the little dude's face and the dog was hilarious but uh I yeah I'm also kind of like wait what was happening in this and like What's going on? Uh, There was a little bit of that for me. But uh, creatively, I'm having a blast with it. I'm surprised you don't like it more because there's so many bits in
0: this book that are just people murderizing each other. There's a goblin dude who comes out of dreams who's like, can I eat this person? I'd I'd (laughs) love to eat this person, which is very funny. And one of my absolute favorite bits in this issue – is their plan to take the villain? The main character's like, okay, step one, I have a flamethrower. They're like, all right, what's we'll step through two? And she's like,
1: I don't know. Did you hear step one? <laughs> yeah, did
0: you, I I got a flamethrower. Yeah. And then the guy is like, Alright, that's pretty cool. So uh, there's such a like arch tone to everything that's going on, even that it when it is weird and it is dreamlike logic and everything that's happening. Loving this book, having a great time with it. Definitely worth checking out. And folks... That is it for the stack. If you'd like to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We'd love to chat with you about comic books. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at comic book live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast, and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. Take care.